Please open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. We're going to read in Matthew chapter 23 in the midst of our series entitled Follow Me. Matthew 23, we're going to read this chapter together. Let's read God's Word together. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to His disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. And thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar, truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The title of the message this morning is, They Were Not Willing. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your precious word. And we thank you for the way you build your church up with it. The way you feed us through it. And I pray, Holy Spirit of God, feed us this morning from the precious truth of Scripture and help us through Jesus' words to be built up and to be, to be warned, to be uh, sobered and, and to realize the reality of the coming judgment and to, Lord, also see your heart of, of compassion and love even as you pronounce woe. Almighty God, we ask for your mercy to just come forth into the hearts of those who are unbelievers here in our midst. And we also pray for those who are Christians that they would be greatly strengthened in their faith in Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just by way of introduction to this passage this morning, it's, it's important to recognize that the people, and this is, as Jesus is talking to the crowds and to his disciples, he's talking to the people in the temple. And this, this is the week of his death, his suffering and death. He's going to be crucified this Friday. This is Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, dealing with the times building right up to the end where Jesus lays down his life on Good Friday. And so this is a very busy week. And Jesus here is pronouncing judgment on the Pharisees because they are giving false religious guidance and they are claiming authority. And it's a role that the authorities and the scribes, they, they cherished the power. They, they cherished the authority. And then in fact, they're driving concern as those who purported to really speak for the way of God was that they wanted to hold on to that power at all costs. They lusted for power and money. And, but power seemed to be the real thing that Jesus was a threat to. And it really caused them to be incensed against him and become more and more his enemies. In fact, at this very time, they were plotting to take God the incarnate, Jesus Christ's life at this very moment. And so he's, Jesus is opening the door of the kingdom and, and, and the Pharisees are doing everything they can to shut the door in the people's faces and to keep them from the Messiah, from believing in Jesus, the Christ who was prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. These were false shepherds prophesied about in the Old Covenant who were, rather than pointing people to the Messiah and pointing people to the Christ, they kept turning people away from Jesus and trying to accost people and pull them aside so they would not believe and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. There were three judgment parables that were mentioned in Matthew chapter 22 that we looked at over the last number of weeks, and here Jesus pronounces woes upon the scribes and Pharisees for the way that they were leading the people astray. And so we're going to look at three points this morning from the passage. The first is in section uh, verses 1 through 12, warnings from Jesus. Secondly, woes from Jesus. And thirdly, lament from Jesus. So let's look first at Warnings from Jesus from verses 1 through 12. Jesus is talking to the crowds and to his disciples and he talks about the scribes and the Pharisees and he's talking about the way that they set themselves on Moses' seat. During the time, this time in the synagogues, many had a seat where uh, an expert in the teaching of the law would sit and it was a coveted seat in the synagogues amongst the Pharisees and scribes, a position of authority and power that they were really desiring and driven by. And so Jesus is saying, so do and observe what they tell you, but not the works that they do. And then he goes on to describe the works that they do. The first thing he says about them is that they preach 
but they do not practice. And brothers and sisters, we're warned to not be those Christians who don't practice what we preach. You've always heard the expression through the years, you can't just talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk. And Jesus is saying here, do not follow the works of the Pharisees and scribes because they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. And let us remember here that as Christians, we are meant to be holy, called out, separate unto the Lord Jesus Christ, and to come out and be separate from the world, to be different, to follow and obey the teaching of Scripture, and to always be motivated by the grace of God, to be passionate about obedience to the Lord Jesus, to, to follow Him with all of our heart. We as believers in Jesus Christ are to turn away from living a double life. Somebody who shows up at church under the pretense of religion and appearances, they have all outward appearance of godliness, and that's what the Pharisees did, but really, it was just all outward show. And there was no real inward righteousness, and when they were on their own, and when they were separate from religious type context they were different people you've heard the term chameleon christian somebody who changes color with whatever environment they're in and we should be true wherever we're at we should be christ-like and holy in our talk and our conversation our attitudes and our dispositions no matter whether we're by our firesides or whether we're in the church or whether we're in our work place our homes or its small group. We should be true through and through. We shouldn't have sort of work talk, but then church talk, where our mouth, if others could hear us speaking, would be totally different. And our thoughts are far away from God, even though we come and honor the Lord with our lips on Sunday morning. We are meant to be something different, and we are meant to to turn away from the works of the Pharisees and scribes where they really did have a double life going on. You see Jesus talking about that and elaborating on that more and more. You see here in verse 4, they, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and they, they lay them on people's shoulders, but they, they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. This here is talking about the over 600 extra biblical laws that the Pharisees and scribes were laying upon the people. This is touching in on the legalism of the Pharisees and scribes in their teaching, where they would load up. The image here is of a donkey being so overburdened with load that it can barely move. That, that's the image that Jesus is painting here that was sort of the effect of the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. We are meant to turn away from that teaching, and we are meant to walk in the grace of God and rejoice in the grace of God. I was thinking in relation to that verse 4, of the contrast of this from Jesus who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden in Matthew 11. And I will give you what? Rest. Coming to Christ and taking His yoke. There is a yoke. There is a cost to following Jesus. And there is a weight for us to carry. But His yoke is easy. And His burden is light. But the Pharisees and scribes, they were tying down heavy burdens, extra biblical weights placed on the backs of God's people. And we're burdening them down. And, and, and Jesus is saying, they, they preach this stuff and they don't even practice it themselves. They were zealous about it. And yet, in all matters of real true righteousness and religion, they were far from God. He says in verse 5, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. There's a real judgment that Jesus places upon them that there's there's this image of the Pharisees and the scribes again just loving the power loving the prestige of the seat in the synagogue and and all the the honored places at the feasts and in all their prayers in public the images of loud bold prayers seeking to draw attention to oneself rather than to draw attention to God. They wore these phylacteries, which were long leather straps with Scripture tied inside of them that bore the name of God. And it was, it was sought to really show off righteousness and zeal for God. And, and they did all of this. And they did all this for outward show. 
Ironically, they even had one on the left arm that was supposedly closer to their heart because they wanted it to kind of be symbolized as being close to their heart, and yet their hearts were far from God. Here's the phylacteries that have the Word of God written and inscribed on them, and yet here the Word of God in the flesh is before them, and they're rejecting Him. Their hearts were far from God, and yet they thought that they were the ones close to God, and they looked down upon in a superior mindset the, the people of God. And, and, and Jesus is saying, listen, do not do that. Don't live according to that. And he warns us, Jesus does, from that type of religion. It's very important for us not to distance ourselves just because Jesus was saying this to this culture. It's very common to have a a sizing up mentality in the church. We're constantly sizing people up of whether I'm superior or whether I'm inferior to that person. That type of mentality needs to be run away from, from all true Christians. And that should never be happening amongst God's people. And Jesus is very zealous and very passionate about this. We shouldn't be loving honor and places of honor and seeking to establish positions of of teaching and leadership and authority in order to get the prestige that comes from that rather than to serve. There's always a temptation whenever we aspire to serve God to actually turn it into something where we're actually serving ourselves. And it's something we have to be very passionate about turning away from and making sure that our heart is really for Jesus and to really truly serve and to wash the feet of the saints. We want to make sure that our, our religion isn't one of show where we're, we're trying to draw attention to ourselves and have everybody say, oh, what a, what a great and godly guy he is or, or she is. We want it to be to where we, we just want to retreat to the shadows and not be noticed and do our works of righteousness, not before men to be seen by others, but when we fast and when we pray, to do everything we can not to be noticed and not to have it be seen by others so that others will look at it and say, wow, what a holy man she is, or holy man he is, and what a holy woman she is. We've got to make sure that we are passionate about turning away from these things. And this aspect here of, of loving title, rabbi, Again, it's, it's sort of the common equivalent of what we would call a doctor today. Uh, people craving or coveting the position of doctor in our culture and wanting to hear doctor this and doctor that or any type of clamoring for title. It's, Jesus isn't categorically saying that it's wrong to have any title, but what he's saying is it's that, that, that lust for title and position and prestige and status. He's, this is leading them. It led them away from the Lord. And you need to turn away from it. Jesus is really warning the people. Before he goes at the Pharisees, he goes before the people. He goes before us and he says, listen, you have one instructor and you're looking at him, Jesus says. The Christ. This ought to cause us to be passionate about the Word of God, brothers and sisters. To go before our teacher the Lord Christ, and to receive from the Holy Spirit through the Scriptures in our private devotional times, and to never make it a duty or a drudgery, but let it be a, a sweet relationship between you and Jesus. And I've often said this to people, if you feel like your devotional times have become this dry thing, listen, go take your Bible and a journal and go off into the woods by a rock, by a stream, and just go connect. Connect with Him again. Let it be a deep and sweet relationship with Christ. One where your heart is flowing upward with passionate zeal in private. When you're praying, pray bold prayers, but shun all sense of desiring to do it for show or being desiring to be seen for your scripture knowledge or for how spiritual you are in the eyes of men. Shun that and turn away from it and and seek to rather be ambitious for this, Jesus says. The greatest among you shall be your servant. You want to passionately pursue a title, Jesus says? Pursue servant. Servant. Because whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. These very words, Jesus is, He actually practices what he preaches 
the very next evening when, when he gathers in the upper room with his disciples, he gets down on his knees with a basin and a towel and he washes the disciples' feet, symbolizing the way he was going to lay down his life on the cross for them the next day. And he says, listen, if you want to be great, take notice of what I'm doing, how I'm serving. Brothers and sisters, there are those who, there are acts of service that are just beneath them. Ask the, the, to do something publicly where their name will be recognized and prestige is attached to it, and they're right there willing and ready. But we're called to be different and of a different spirit, to have no job that is beneath us, to be willing to embrace and serve in the areas of secrecy and where it's very clear that there's no prestige and to seek these things out. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Oh, if you, if you pursue after title and position and status and the acclaim of men, you're going to receive your reward in full, Jesus says in another section. But that's not to be the way it is with you, pursuing title of father. I call no one father but God. Focus on God. Don't make your religion about man. Focus on what it's all about. When God incarnate, the precious Son, Jesus Christ, and model your life after the example of who He is, and believe in His sacrifice and His servanthood when He laid down His life for you on the cross. Because the benefits of the cross will only benefit those who receive Jesus Christ in repentance and in faith. Not all will be saved at the judgment. Not all are born again, but only those who repent of their sins and trust in Christ. And so if you haven't yet done that, please, friend, repent and trust in Jesus while there's still time. Heed His warnings here and turn away from this kind of religion. It's, it's very attractive. And in many churches today, it's very prominent, but Christ's community, by God's grace, may we not have this type of pretentious, showy, exalting ourselves religion, but may we be marked with humble servanthood. And may this Spirit mark us in greater and greater measure in the days and months and years to come. And let it be for you and me personally, not, hey, look at me, look at me, but rather, I hope they see Jesus. Look at Him. Look at Him. Secondly, woes from Jesus. Woes from Jesus. There's seven woes here, and it's, it's seen as a parallel. And we talked about this back in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Many of you would know who, would, who were here during that time where Jesus was pronouncing blessing upon His people who were characterized by the qualities in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart and those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. All of these different seven Beatitudes. Here's seven woes that seem to correspond with. These are pronouncements, not of blessing, but the opposite of blessing. We talked about back in the Beatitudes that the Beatitudes were actually oracles that came from Jesus, the prophet, priest, and king. But Jesus, the prophet, pronouncing an oracle of blessing. He was pronouncing divine blessing upon those who, by grace, display these beautiful qualities of character that only the Holy Spirit can produce in the life of a man or a woman. And here we see... He's pronouncing woe. And a woe, it's important to understand, is is an oracle that's the opposite of blessing. It's an oracle of curse. And it's important to know that when when it comes to a woe, and you see this here with Jesus, it's a mixture of a pronouncement of punishment. Punishment with pity, you see but also it's a pronouncement of cursing. But you also see it's cursing with compassion. 
even the woe, it's in, in the inherent woe, there's an appeal. Even now, there's, there's time. Please repent. Be willing to turn to me and have life. And, you know, it's a happy thought. But there were probably some who were here, even amongst the teachers and Pharisees, who heard Jesus say these words. And we know in the book of Acts that there were some, even amongst the Pharisees and scribes, who turned to Christ in repentance and faith. And probably could even track that they were here live, hearing this. And might this have been a means of grace in God's pity and compassion under the threat of the, the pronouncement of woe that would come upon them if they didn't repent, but to, to turn to Jesus and to have life in some who did. But we know that there were many probably who didn't. And that's why this is such a sobering section of Scripture, these woes from Jesus. These are divine pronouncement, divine pronouncements of judgment. From God. Oracles of woe. You see Jesus saying all kinds of things here about them that their hypocrites is repeated over and over and over again. They were claiming to speak in God's name and show God's way. And yet, brothers and sisters, the way, the truth, and the life is standing there right in front of them. And they're plotting his murder. That's how wicked the human heart is inherently. And how deceived the poor Pharisees and scribes were. The the deepest of judgments is reserved for the false teachers who presume to speak in God's name. And that's why it says in the scriptures that not many of you should presume to be teachers, brothers. For those of you who judge will be judged with a more, teach will be judged with a more stricter judgment. We see this here that that those who purport to proclaim the Word of God and yet load burdens, extra-biblical, unbiblical burdens on the backs of the people to where they can barely move to where religion becomes this horrible thing as opposed to the grace and mercy of the cross of Christ and the resurrection of our Lord and the, the happy joys of repentance and faith in Christ and of followership in Jesus rather than proclaim that laying burdens in this way and purporting to, sh- to, to know the way and yet murdering the one who is the way. Oh, brothers and sisters, they were so deceived. They were blind guides, Jesus says of them here. I'm just going to run through these seven quickly and just mention just a few things about each one. Verse 13, What do you... Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves, nor allow those who would enter to go in. This is sort of the opposite of being poor in spirit. I've got nothing in my hands that I bring simply to the cross I cling. This is, I do bring something. And I'm going to shut people out from believing and the Son of God, it's the opposite of meekness. It's the opposite of merciful and mourning over your sin. This is the height of self-righteousness and arrogance and pride to stand in the face of the Messiah, God incarnate, and to denounce Him and plot to murder Him and block God's people from coming to Him. These were enemies. And at this very moment, they were planning to kill the one who was come, who had come to save them. They refused Christ and also blocked others. That phrase, isn't that sobering? Shutting the kingdom. Oh, brothers and sisters, thank God for this. All of the nations raging and all of the false teachers raging to shut the door of the kingdom cannot stop the power of the risen Christ who has opened that door And the blessings of salvation have poured out to the nations. God has opened the door and no one can shut it. They did their most to try. But here we are. By the grace of God. Jesus pronounces woe upon them for shutting the kingdom in their faces. Secondly, 
Verse 15, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte or a convert. That's another word for convert. And when he becomes a convert or a proselyte, you make him twice as much. Look at this phrase, making children of hell. Twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Again, the opposite of blessed are the merciful, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. Here there was a zeal without knowledge, like Paul talked about in the book of Romans. There's a zeal to go across land and sea to make converts, but converts who will reject the Messiah and reject the Christ. There's a principle here, brothers and sisters, we have to really take to heart that zeal alone is not enough. It has to be zeal for Jesus. It's possible to be very zealous about something. And to be zealous in a way that actually opposes the kingdom of God. And it's only all the more condemning. We live in a day where people say, hey, listen, all roads lead to heaven. All that matters is that somebody is sincere in what they believe. It doesn't matter how sincere you are or how zealous you are. If you follow a false way, you're not going to heaven. You have to come through the door. Jesus Christ, you have to believe. You have to repent and trust in Christ. If you don't come through Christ, there is no other way to heaven. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. And we cannot, we need to make sure we hold out the exclusive message of the gospel of grace to this lost world and not yield an inch to those who would say, no, no, it's okay. All you got to do is be a sincere Muslim or sincere Jewish person or a sincere Hindu or sincere Buddhist or sincere Jehovah's Witness, sincere Mormon. No, brothers and sisters, if they don't trust in Christ and if they don't enter through the way of the cross, if they don't believe in God's Son, all of their zeal traveling over land and sea does not earn them anything. And it does not earn us anything. The only thing that saves is faith in Jesus Christ and in what He did for us on the cross. And let us cling to the old rugged cross. Let us not be zealous about other things other than Jesus. Let us be zealous though for Christ. Let us be zealous for His church and do everything we can. I love that scripture in Matthew 16. You know, I, I will build my church, Jesus says, and the gates of hell will not overcome it, will not prevail against it. I, I love the thought of this, but we should be most passionate about and zealous for that which Christ is building. He's building His church. So let us all throw our backs into it and let us do it more and more as the day of judgment approaches. But zeal alone is not enough. Third, thirdly, 16. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. What, what's happening here is that they, they actually, and Jesus, Jesus is saying you're blind guides, is that they're actually encouraging lying. It's okay to swear an oath by the temple, but not the gold of the temple. And they actually were encouraging deceit. One of the Ten Commandments. I was reflecting on the Ten Commandments this week and kind of reciting through them in my mind. And thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not bear false witness. There's, God is passionate about truth. And here they were encouraging lying. They also, there was another thing that was happening here. You see it in verse 22, and Jesus says, And whoever swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. They were saying, you can swear an oath by the temple, and, and you can kind of lie and get around that. But if you swear an oath by the gold of the temple, you're bound by that oath. What they're saying there, do you realize what they're saying? The gold is where the value's at. They're valuing gold, and in the second comparison, the gift on the altar. Valuing material possessions, gold and gifts, rather than the temple and the altar. In other words, God. And we need to make sure 
You cannot love both God and money. We must value God. And I remember Ben preaching on this not too long ago. We need to simply make our yes be yes and our no be no and speak the truth and not give ourselves over to swearing oaths. But when we do, we're bound by them all. And to make sure that we are people of the truth. The Pharisees were not doing that. And they were leading the people into being liars. And Jesus denounces them for that. Fourthly, woe to you, scribes, verse 23, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. This is sort of a, it flies in the face of blessed are the peacemakers, of those who are ministering the truth and bringing God's people together under the truth. This is to, to know the minutia of scripture and to know the details, but to focus on minutia and to be passionate about minutia and neglect what is central and most important in God's word. It is possible to know and be an expert in the Bible and yet not focus what the Bible centrally focuses on. You may have had friends like this. Individuals in the past, have you seen get into this? They start to wander away from the matter of first importance, right? Christ and the glorious gospel. And they start to wander away into minutia and become zealous and passionate about Things that they ought not to be so passionate about. The Pharisees were experts in this. And so Jesus says, listen, you're passionate about tithing. And not just tithing on your regular income. They were tithing on their garden herbs. That's what this is saying. That's zeal. And Jesus is saying, listen, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't neglect doing that. But bring what is central. And I'm standing in front of you. To the forefront. They ought to have all been in the temple courtyard saying, this is the one we preached about. This is the one that the Old Testament is pointed to, just like John the Baptist. And yet, instead, they were plotting his murder. Talk about missing the entire point of Scripture. Brothers and sisters, they did that. And it's possible that we could do that as well. We need to be on guard against it. We need to focus on justice and mercy and faithfulness, the matters of the heart, and carrying these things out which are central in Scripture, and obeying all of Scripture. It doesn't mean that the minors aren't important, or that minutia and obeying the Lord in minutia isn't important. It just means that it's not meant to take on central prerogatives to where we're more passionate about minutia than we are about Christ. There's a real burden John and I have. We want you to be passionate about the majors in Scripture. And not on minutia more than the majors. We need to make sure that we know all of God's Word. And we're passionate about all of it. But we need to make sure that we don't start to minor on minors. And forget that which is central and major. And the Pharisees and scribes have done that. Churches can do that. Denominations can do that. And they drift into liberalism. And they walk away from Christ within even a few generations. Christ community, this is on all of us. We need to make sure that we know God's word. And we stand upon it. And we follow it down into the details. But we also never let go of the matter of first importance. Which is the gospel. And that we also do not neglect the matters of justice and mercy, and faithfulness that Jesus highlights here that the Pharisees neglected. False religions make minutia major. All of them do. And they let go of that which is most important and teach error and heresy and lead people astray. Let us not do that in the church. Let us not do that, families, in our homes. Let's make sure our homes are focused on Christ and that the name of Jesus Christ is known even amongst our children by our parents and 
from children to parent and parent to children, that we love Christ in our homes and focus on the matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness and not minor or major on minors and slowly drift away from passion for Jesus Christ. Uh, There's so much more I could say about that. But I think we need to move forward. Uh, the, the fifth woe here. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, in verse 25. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. This is, there's dirtiness inside because what matter to the Pharisees is appearances before men rather than true spirituality of the heart inside. And we know that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. We need to make sure that we're passionate about true heart religion that loves the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loves our neighbor as ourselves and not give ourselves over to externalism, moralism, These things can be enemies to the true gospel and to the true Christian life because it focuses on outward appearances before men. And wherever we see that in ourselves, let's repent of that and and turn to Christ and make sure that we don't fall into this like the Pharisees were condemned for by Jesus. The sixth woe, woe to you, verse 27, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which again, outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That word lawlessness also translated in one translation, unclean, uncleanness. You're defiled. You're actually defiled like Someone who touches dead person's bones in the old covenant, somebody who touched a dead body was unclean and they were defiled and they, they could not approach. And here Jesus is saying, Pharisees, you are like whitewashed tombs that outwardly appear beautiful, but inside you're full of uncleanness. You need to come to me and have life and let me give you a new heart. Let me cause you to be born again so that you might be transformed from the inside out. Your religion is nothing but externalism. And your appearance is deceptive. And then finally, in verse and, and the woe 7 and 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? This is the opposite of the beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Here you have... Woe to the persecutor. And at this very moment, they are plotting. Even though they pride themselves on being different from their fathers who persecuted those who prophesied about the Christ, they're about to murder the Christ himself and yet arrogantly say, we're better than our fathers. Jesus calls them out on that and pronounces woe and calls them, you are murderers of the prophets, the messengers of the Lord. In fact, I'm going to send more messengers after I am resurrected and ascend and I'm on my throne waiting to return. Other messengers I'm going to send. You're going to persecute them also. He speaks here to other messengers, the apostles and the prophets, to the church brothers and sisters. Those of us who would be suffered and would even some, some of us, they would kill and crucify. Others would be flogged in the synagogues and persecuted from town to town. Oh, judgment is going to come upon them. And brothers and sisters, look at verse 33. You brood of vipers, deceitful and deadly, how are you to escape from being sentenced to hell? You see in that, that even the mercy of Jesus as he's pronouncing woe and judgment, he's appealing to them through a question. There's so much pathos and passion here of Jesus where he's, he's pleading and saying, how are you to escape? You know what I thought in conclusion to this? How are we to escape from being sentenced to hell, brothers and sisters? Well, the good news is, is the one who asked this question is the answer.
for everybody in this room who has repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus. I have good news for you this morning. You have escaped being sentenced to hell forever. Isn't that good news? Aren't you so thankful for the gospel? The gospel of grace. The third and final point, it'll be shorter, is lament from Jesus. Verse 36, Jesus says, All of the judgment of all of the prophets that were murdered from Abel all the way to Zechariah, the blood of all that's going to be on you and on this generation. It's a serious judgment. The greatest condemnation is going to fall upon you who had the Son of God incarnate in front of him and rejected him anyway. And Jesus, overflowing out from that, overflows into this lament that it's beautiful and it's tragic and it's so heartfelt and it, oh, this, this phrase, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? Look at the, the tenderness and the compassion of Christ toward his people. In Romans, it says, all day long, I've held out my arms to a disobedient and obstinate people. Just come, I want to gather you. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden with all those loads burden on your back, and I'll give you rest. Come to me and and receive me in repentance and in faith, and I'll receive you and save you and bring you into my eternal home in heaven and love you forever. I'm about ready to die for you. That's how much I love you. I mean, Jesus has got so much love, so much compassion, and here's this sighing, Oh, Jerusalem. You were not willing. Their hardness of heart, brothers and sisters, their unrepentant hearts, hardened. Jesus says, see, your house is left to you desolate. And not too many years from here, only 30 plus more in 66 A.D., Jerusalem rebelled against the Romans, fed up with Roman oppression. Finally, the Zealots leading the way rebelled. And from 66 to 70, the Romans began to plunder and murder and kill the Zealots and eventually marched 80,000 troops into Jerusalem in 70 AD and destroyed the temple. Your house is left to you desolate. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. But there's not this vindictive mean, there's just this appeal and pity and compassion. And yet, brothers and sisters, make no mistake about it, justice and wrath. And we need to remember that God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9, Ezekiel 18, 23. He doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. And we need to remember that about the heart of God. And also Lamentations 3, 33, that he does not from his heart afflict the children of men. Is there a sense with when he's pronouncing blessing, it's like with all of his heart he's pronouncing blessing. When he's pronouncing woe and judgment, it he does not from his heart afflict the children of men. He, he's, he's carrying out justice with zeal for the holiness of God Almighty and in the zeal of the holiness of God Almighty. And yet there's pity and compassion and mercy even as he's doing this. He says, I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You've got to remember earlier this week, Palm Sunday, he comes in on the donkey. And what do they say of him? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're welcoming in many, the Messiah, and they're saying the words, welcoming in the Messiah to Jerusalem, but many of them did not have saving faith in saying it. They had expectations that were wrong. He's here to deliver us from Roman oppression. Not to deliver us from the wrath of God for our sins on Friday. It wasn't true saving faith. But Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to leave you, and I'm going to be gone, and you won't see me again. And this is talking about a second coming, which I'm so excited to get into this with you in Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. And, and he gives us a tip here where he's going. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, the Messiah is going to return at the second coming. Jesus Christ is going to come in great power and glory. And he is going to bring on that day consuming judgment. But he's also going to be coming amongst God's people as the welcomed king. Who do you represent? The individual 
who, who will be welcoming him in with joy, ready, anticipating right now. Oh, Jesus can't wait for you to get back here. That's one of the things I love about John. Can't wait for Jesus to return. Stands out about my brother, doesn't it? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do you have confidence in Christ? Are you excited to, to pronounce blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord at the return of Christ? There'll be those who welcome their coming king with great joy and faith and anticipation and excitement. And there will be those who will be calling down on the mountains themselves, fall upon me. Because I'd rather have you come down upon me than the returning judgment of Christ. That's how serious the wrath of God will be on the day of judgment. Brothers and sisters, please repent. Please trust in him. Let us avoid, according to the warnings of Jesus, the errors of the Pharisees and scribes. Let's continue to follow the word of God and yet not follow the unrighteousness of the false teachers who wrongly represent God. Let us cling to Jesus Christ, our risen King, and let us wait in anticipation and say, oh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I can't wait for my Savior to return. Let us not live in drunkenness and lawlessness and dissipation and immorality, dreading the return of Christ because that will be the end of all of our pleasures forever. Let us turn to Christ in repentance and faith right now while there's still time. And let's live ready and waiting, anticipating our great Savior to return. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we just thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Thank you so much that you are a glorious risen King and you are a returning King. We can't wait for you to come back, Jesus. We look forward to your return. Help us, God, to believe in you with all of our hearts and have confidence that when you come back, Lord God, we will be amongst your people who will be saved. We will be amongst the sheep and not the goats. Lord, I pray that anybody here who hasn't trusted in you, that they would do so at this time. But for all my brothers and sisters here who have saving faith and who have repented of their sins, Almighty God, help us to keep our eyes upon you in these these days that are approaching more and more the return of Christ and help us to love you and follow you with greater and greater zeal and passion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, church. Have a great week. I'm going to need to head out immediately afterwards because I have a fun wedding to get to. Devin and Celia are getting married today in a cool little church in Lidditz. And so it's exciting watching the individuals in our church getting married. And oh, it's wonderful. So have a wonderful day, wonderful week. And remember the return of Christ.